Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. When we do take into consideration their needs and we look around and find ways to help create this environment that works for them and it shows them that they are important, that they fit in, that they belong, that they have a place and a family, gives them that sense of love. So they already feel better. And when we feel better, we do better. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 196. Today, we're talking about how to create an optimal home environment with Lorena Seidel. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clarkfield's Mindful Mama mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Membership, and I'm the author of the upcoming new book, but actually being shipped right now, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back to the podcast, my friend. I am so pumped that you are here. I'm excited to introduce you to a friend of mine, Lorena Seidel, who is a Montessori teacher, a social-emotional learning consultant, and a positive discipline educator, and she's a mom of three. And she helps moms create parent-child connection and harmony that last. And she's going to be talking to us about your home environment, which I think is so kind of appropriate, right, as we approach the holidays, this, I want to give you this inspiration to maybe take it a little simpler. (laughs) 
So, you know, do you know that by making really simple everyday changes in your home, young children can really feel empowered to perform everyday tasks with little or no help. So in this episode, we're going to talk about changes you can make to optimize your home environment so that, you know, your child can develop social, emotional, and life skills that are going to pay dividends down the road, I promise. And you're going to hear how we can avoid lots of struggles and negative behavior and how all of us, including children, want love and power. This is what kind of drives us. And, you know, about our unconscious messages to our young children. So this is going to be a powerful episode, and I know you are going to really enjoy it. And Lorena, before we dive in, I want to let you know that Raising Good Humans is shipping. People are getting it. They're sending me their pictures of the book. I'm so excited. It's really exciting. So I'm inviting you to go buy the book. Go buy Raising Good Humans. It's at RaisingGoodHumansBook.com. You can buy it anywhere. And and I want you to buy it right away because we have special book launch bonuses that are going to disappear by the end of the year. And that includes all the Raising Good Humans live interviews, which were wildly popular, including my number one most popular podcast episode guests, Joanna Faber and Julie King, talking about how to talk to so little kids can listen. And we, when you do buy the book, leave a review on Amazon. And we're having a contest for reviews. When you leave a review, you can win a totally free spot in my spring Philadelphia retreat. And this is a $300 value at least. So go ahead and buy the book, RaisingGoodHumansBook.com and do it now and then you'll get those special book launch bonuses including the raising good humans live interviews and then go leave a review and win a spot in my spring retreat so cool and then the other thing i have to let you know before we dive in is that my coaching programs are open until the end of the year i have just a few spots available for one-on-one coaching and For my group coaching, I'm opening one group coaching program for the Mindful Mama Transformation Coaching Group. So this is for you if you are serious about making those steps and taking purposefully creating the life you want and having me help you step by step through the whole way. And this is really a VIP. These are both really VIP programs. I am I'm in your life weekly almost helping you make changes and people have had amazing, amazing results. And it is something I love to do with all of my heart. So I, my coaching programs are open to learn more. You can go to mindfulmamamentor.com or you can reach out to me at hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com to apply. Woo. Okay. Getting the book. telling you about the coaching, inviting you in to grab one of those few spots. All right. But are you ready? Do you remember we were talking about an optimal home environment? So cool. So join me at the table as I talk to Lorena Seidel. Lorena, thanks so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is such a pleasure to, to be here and to be able to talk to you and your audience. Um, I was, I'm excited to talk to you because I love 
talking about Montessori, um, you know, as you might know, like I have a, my girls are in a public Montessori school. They started out in this local private Montessori school. And I had learned about Montessori uh, when I was in graduate school and thinking, oh, you know, I had, I was in graduate school for educate, for art education. And, um, I had, was learning about all these different forms of education. And I had, I remember I had been so frustrated with my own education. And so I was looking at like unschooling and homeschooling and thinking about that. And I was like, well, what if people don't want to do that? <laughs> you know, like, I'm not sure I really want to do yeah. that. So then I learned about Montessori and I was like, oh, it's like the perfect, it's like perfectly in the middle. You know, it's, you know, that it follows the child's independence, this multi-age thing. I got very excited about it. So anyways, we have mm -hmm. a, a long history of supporting Montessori in my family and me learning so much from Montessori. But it, it sounds like you, you tell, tell me about your path to, towards to Montessori. Sure. I always, I feel like my entire life I have been dedicated to education. That was, I grew up in Brazil and in Brazil, when you go to college, you have to choose right away what your major is going to be. Um, so for the whole four years, you study just that one thing. And I chose education and linguistics at the time. And then when I moved here, I went back to school and got a, a new degree here. So I had that background in education. And just like you, I was learning all different methods of education, Waldorf and all the you know, the psychology behind all different methods. And we brushed over Montessori very briefly. Um, but then I happened to move here and got my new degree here and then my master's here. And I was lucky enough to have a Montessori school, which is actually one of the, the, the first American Montessori schools uh, in my area and I was living really close to it. And at the time, many years ago, they were also in the process of becoming an international school with the International Baccalaureate. And I was trained as an IB teacher as well. So they hired me really fresh out of college. I was 21. <laughs> and, and then I didn't really know too much about it, but they sent me to training. And then I became a certified Montessori teacher way back then and worked with the school which they they were the school in which the American Montessori Society started so they were like the very first and I felt really lucky that I got to learn from you know one of the best you know groups of teachers and it was really a great experience and I did that for several years before I had my own children and then I took a break from it. <laughs> so can you tell us like really briefly like for someone who's not familiar with Montessori, although if you're a listener to this podcast, I've probably like harped on it so much. So I apologize <laughs> if this is re repetitive, but can you tell for the, for the listener who doesn't know what, what makes Montessori different? Why is it different from other forms of education? Mm -hmm. Well, it's not the traditional, it's more of a independent, more of a progressive education. So a few of the biggest differences are the multi-age groups. So the classes are grouped with three age groups, so three to six, six to nine, nine to 12. Uh, so you have three grades within a classroom and the teachers will stay with those students for a three-year period. So they have this cycle. Um, and it's really great because the younger students, they get to learn what Dr. Maria Montessori talks about, like this threefold of learning. So you learn the instruction from a teacher, 
then you get a chance to practice and master it on your own by doing it hands-on. And then you get to teach someone how to do it. And with this three-year, the children have the chance to do that. So they will learn and then they practice. And then as they are the elders in the classroom, they get to be the ones who teach and help the younger students. So, and now with the latest brain research and everything sort of points it to that model of learning, being the one that's really effective and uses both sides of the brain and the things that it's like, like a, a recipe. I can tell you what the recipe is and that's great, mm. but then you actually go there and you do it yourself and you bake the cake and you learn by doing and you master it. And then you actually teach someone else how to do it. And then it's really solidified and you, you know, are more likely to remember it forever <laughs> and becomes sort of ingraining you. So that's one big difference. And then also the way that the materials are presented and laid out. So uh, some people think that it's really free, but it's really freedom within a pre-selection and a very particular, you know, set of materials um, with a curriculum that's really uh, well thought out. But it is all out in the environment. And then the children are able to choose the work that they want to do it and they are able to do it on their own at their own pace and because there are not many works of the same kind so there's one of a kind sort of work then nobody's really doing the same thing at the same time so it discourages that competition and trying to be better or finish mm -hmm. first because everybody's doing something different at their own pace and nobody even notices where each other um, really is in their academic process, which is really nice. And then they have areas of the classroom that are a little different than the traditional model. They have the practical life, for example, where children are really learning to take care of themselves and take care of the environment. They are making their own snacks, cleaning. They are doing things with their hands. They're being contributors of that community. Oh my God, my husband and I joke with our kids all the time like about pouring skills. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you are mom kids. You should be able to not spill a drop of that water. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They do so much of them pouring. And I see because I'm actually now again in the Montessori environment working with a school on this long-term consulting with them, even though I'm consulting social emotional learning, which is what I tend to do more now, I get to watch them there in action. And I work with the students from, you know, primary all the way through um, upper elementary. And you see that progression and how they take care of themselves, how they take the compost out, they empty the, the dishwasher and load the dishwasher and run it, and they bring the laundry home. So my three girls go to the school now, and uh, every so often I have a big bag of laundry that they actually do the entire thing themselves. They run it, they fold, they switch, they do it, and they bring back to the school. But it's really nice to see how everyone is really in charge of that classroom and they're all working together and as they grow older their responsibilities grow with them so I think that those are like the biggest if I were to just name you know three four things that are very different I would say that those are the differences I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out especially if you ever deal with any school system which you probably do it's called understood explains this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. 
And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Candlewick Press, publisher of You Are Light, the latest title from children's book author and illustrator Aaron Becker. You open this book to find a graphic yellow sun surrounded by a halo of bright die cut transparent circles and then you hold the pages up to the light and enjoy the transformation as the colors in those circles glow. Aaron Becker follows as light reflects off the earth to warm our faces, draws up the sea to make rain, feeds all things that grow, and helps to create all the brilliant wonders of the world including ourselves. You Are Light is about finding the light within each and every one of us. For kids, it gently introduces the concepts of colors, mindfulness, the environment, ecology, and the interconnectedness of our own lives with nature. For adults, You Are Light makes a perfect holiday gift that serves as a luminous remedy for any seasonal winter blues. You Are Light by Aaron Becker, available everywhere books are sold, and I highly, highly recommend it. It is a gorgeous book that I cannot wait to put in little hands this season. Yeah, it's interesting. It's because the, you know, when kids are little, they really want to be doing the things adults are doing. Like they want to be given all these things to do. Right. And that's when we don't generally, I think in society, we tend to like not give them things because they're going to drop things and break things and whatever, because they're two years old or three years old or four years old. But that's exactly when we can kind of seize this moment of inspiration. And what I personally love about the Montessori system is the, that is uh, a system that it develops, continues to develop kids' intrinsic motivation, right? Because, mm-hmm. because of that, uh, that choice ability. Like, I mean, I remember being a kid and just 
having to do this thing at this time with everybody in the class and doing these worksheets and being so either bored out of my mind or not really understand or whatever. And just, yeah. And then learning the math. There's so much about this that, that we could go on to, but, um, but what's really, what I wanted to talk to you about and what's, you know, I think it's, uh, there's a great takeaways. Like when I saw these things from my kids, oh, look what they can do. You know, when um, one of the big things that you talk about is the prepared environment, like, and like, look what you can do when you prepare the environment for somebody who's only like maybe 36 inches tall. I mean, <laughs> or whatever. I mean, our, it's really interesting to, you know, to, I mean, we know that most preschools, of course, you go into them and they're set up with little chairs and things like that. But the the Montessori, the way they they really encourage that with almost all the things. So you you saw this in this work you were doing, and then you got pregnant with your own first child. Mm-hmm. Imagine, I, you know, I imagine you write about this in in your book and how you decided that you were going to take this into your own home, right? Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your, you know, what your thinking was. I mean, because for me, I was like, yes, like I don't, I'm putting these little these little hooks down low on my, on, on the stairwell. So you can hang up your jacket because I don't want to hang up. I don't want to be your slave. Like, hey, your jackets. <laughs> you know, it was really interesting because when I was in the classroom, I would see children. And I think I mentioned one in my book, I would see this, you know, many of them. And I, you know, mentioned this one little girl and she would clip flowers and put them in vases she would then move on and take a banana and slice it and then go around serving to friends. She would, you know, polish a little penny with some salt and vinegar. Like you would see her like (laughs) doing all those things for herself. And she was so capable and independent and doing, just thriving in that environment. But the second that many of the students would be picked up, they're, child, you know, their caregiver, their parents or babysitters would hold their bag for them, carry their jackets. And you could see that it was a different, it was a very different dynamic that they experienced at home. And I started noticing that. And I just wanted to have that continuity. I've always wanted to find ways to bridge that gap between the home and the school. So the work that's done in the school can be carried out into the home. And when I had my own, I was so fired up by this Montessori thing that I looked at every way I could bring it into the house. So there were already many, um, you know, research and bloggers and people out there doing that. So I read all about it and I decided I was going to implement everything. So we did the floor bed. We always just had the wooden toys and we were very particular about how we laid them out and we didn't have too many and we placed it in a way that would be easy for the children to choose what they want without overwhelming them. And then they could do the activities, but also manage to put away because it wasn't a huge amount of things to clean up at the end. Um, so we, we did all that. And as they grew, so when they were very little, there's not too much of a difference other than we did the floor bed, but we also, you know, had them with us for a so, long time. Hold on, look, let's break it down. So like you, you're bringing this into the home and, and the, the, I, the purpose is right to 
make it so that the not for the child to be like adapted to the adult environment, but you're trying to adapt the environment so the child can do as much as they can for themselves. And I just want to break down a couple things you said there because, um, you know, the it's this idea, what you're mentioning is this, we, I can picture it because I've been in so many Montessori classrooms, but for the listener who can't, yeah. in a Montessori classroom, there's like shelves of work and what you might consider toys, but like, or activities, right, that are down low so the child can reach them, but they're spaced around the shelf. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's this is not like a toy room with like bins of things piled up in. It, what you're describing is really like, from the normal American kid environment, radically simplified. So maybe you could give us like, you know, a few of the ways that you, you brought into the home for like a first, a a really young child. Like you mentioned the floor bed. Tell me about that. So the floor bed idea was just that you want, you want to foster the independence. You want to foster self-regulation. You want to foster, um, confidence in a child. So the idea of a floor bed is so, the child can regulate. So if they wake up, uh, they don't have to just look at the ceiling or look through bars. They can actually see the entire room. And then of course the entire room has to be child safe and proofed. So it becomes, and then you put a gate at the door. So the whole thing is a big playpen and it's like a yes environment, sort of what, you know, the, um, our um, REI approach also talks about like creating this yes environment. And and then when the child starts moving and crawling out and walking out of bed, they are actually able to also wake up and go grab a little book or a, a toy that they have nearby and they can entertain themselves without having to cry for mom, right? Because they're stuck in a crib. And then it, they could also be playing in the bedroom. And when they are tired, they can just crawl to bed and put themselves to sleep. So that's the idea. So that was one thing that I did very early on. But then as they grow older, you start changing throughout the entire house. Um, so well, I... Can I ask you about yeah. the floor bed? Did it work yeah. out that way? Like, I, you know, I imagine the listener saying that's really ideal, but I can't hear myself like putting my child putting... I know. <laughs> it might sound really... Uh, yeah, it does sound a bit crazy. Uh, well, for us, it did really work really well. We would have several occasions where we would just walk by the bedroom and we would see that they were playing. And then a few minutes later, we would walk by again and they were sleeping. (laughs) They put themselves to sleep. Um, And we did it with all three of them. So we've never owned a crib. (laughs) We've always did that. Um, And it worked out for us. Uh, It was really nice. Um, I think that it was also good for me because I was able to just lie down with them. I got one big mattress at the time because it was our like guest bedroom mattress. So I was able to always lie down and nurse in the middle of the night. So it was easy for me to also get in there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. So you would, so but you of course they for... still would cry for us. Yeah. You know, they would still, as they grew older, you know, instead of getting up on the crib and crying, they would go to the door at the gate <laughs> and cry. But they were a lot more likely to just entertain themselves and they were able to wake up and not and find something to do it and get engaged. They were able to go to bed. But of course there's still, you know, the bedtime battles can can still that, happen. That all can happen. Uh, but we really have very great slippers. They all sleep really well and we we don't have to really spend a lot of time putting them to bed. It was always really easy 
bedtime routine. It was just the, they so were how, really enjoyed. Like they were, it was never a negative. There was nothing. There was never a negative experience associated with the bedtime. Mm-hmm. It was always something that they liked and enjoyed doing, and they. Oh, I mean, yeah. we are all wired to want to sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> something that children have a hard time going to bed because they have a hard time separating because they have a hard time being confined. But we really are all, we all love to sleep. <laughs> so, so how young was what I was wanting to ask? Like how, how starting at what age did you do the floor bed? Like an infant? Uh, well, they stayed with me on a little bassinet next to my bed for several months. So <laughs> I would say maybe six months on. Uh, that's when they started to sleep on. Ah, in the that's so bed. cool. I never heard of that. I, I, like, I love that idea. So what what were a few other ways that you but brought? But other ways that are more, for, for people may not be as... Right. <laughs> Simply just putting their, hanging their clothes on a lower bar in their closet so they can just reach, uh, not having too many things for them to choose from is also a great idea. So you you really are trying to minimize the the choices for them because you want to minimize the battles for you. (laughs) So if you don't have a lot out, then it's easier for them to choose what they need and do it themselves. But it could just be having, you know, the stool for them to to step and and reach their drawers um, if you don't have it in the bedroom. Um, Other things like throughout the kitchen that you can do is just having a little low cabinet for them in the kitchen where they can get their plates and cups and bowls and they can set the table themselves or move their snacks to the lower drawers or shelf in the refrigerator so they can reach themselves. Um, finding ways to help them prepare their own meals, even just, you know, if, even if they're just going to drink or, you know, have milk and cereal in the morning, you can set it up in a way that sets them up for success. So instead of having a whole big box of cereal that they have to manipulate and that they, it might be awkward for them and hard for them, and then they will probably spill. Uh, you can just put a little bit of cereal in a bowl um, with a scoop for them to to scoop out of it. So that way, if there is a mess, if there is a mishap, and they spill something, it's a it's a small amount that's that they have to clean up. And then yeah, and you, you would involve them in the cleanup too, right? Oh yes, because and that, then they would. That's clean. part of it. Exactly. And then you have a small little pitcher of milk that they can pour instead of trying to manipulate a whole gallon of milk. They have a small pitcher that they can actually succeed at pouring. So you're just trying to set them up for success. But I feel like even like before we get to all those things that that you would change in your house, I think it's important for parents to know why they would do it. The 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 real reason behind all this is that we are all all of us, right? We're wired to want belonging and significance. And that's sort of the work of Alfred Adler and then Rudolf Dreikers. And then later on, Jane Nelson and Lynn Lott created the positive discipline. And we have this need, and Maria Montessori already talked about that, that children want to be purposeful. And that's why I call the book, The Purposeful Child. We all want to be meaningful. We want to be helpful. We want to feel that we are useful. And we all also want to belong. We want to fit in. We want to be accepted and loved. So these are the the, the two big things that we really want. And you can boil it down sometimes to make it simpler. Uh, You can think of in terms of love and power. We all are wired to want love and power. 
if you think of the history of humanity, everything that we've done, everything that even wars or conquering, it was all driven by this need for power and love, right? So this is what drives us to behave and to do what we do. And when we look at our environment or we look at our children and we focus on their needs and we modify our environment to meet their needs, to accommodate them, gives them that sense that, oh, someone actually took some time to think about what I needed and to make this environment work for me as well. Because it has to work for us, of course, but it also has to work for the children, for us to have this harmony, for us to be able to avoid a lot of the struggles and the negative behavior that we see in our children. So when we do take under consideration their needs and we look around and find ways to help create this environment that works for them and it shows them that they are important, that they fit in, that they belong, that they have a place in a family, gives them that sense of love. So they already feel better. And when we feel better, we do better. So it's simple as that, as we want to think of ways, how do I make my child feel better? Because they will do better when they feel better. And then on the power side of feeling helpful is you also are creating an environment that helps your child engage, helps your child feel useful, help them feel purposeful and powerful and autonomous and independent. It's all part of this power uh, that we need. So because they have opportunities throughout the day to do it for themselves, to be in charge of their lives in small ways, for them to help us, they don't need to get power in negative yeah. ways, then they're not going to be seeking power in negative ways. And because they feel that they are loved enough to have this place, you know, modified for them, they also don't need to seek the attention and the love with those negative attention seeking behaviors. So when I explain this to parents, I really say that it is a discipline tool more than anything. It's really something that we do because it makes our lives easier. And it seems like it would make our lives so harder because now you have to prepare this environment. Now you have to keep things set up. And now it does take more time for you to actually teach the child how to pour the milk and scoop the cereal and then clean up when the mess happens. So it does take a little bit more work at first, but then but it pays off it in pays the long off. run, enormously. Long That's run, okay. Enormously. Yeah. yeah. So I always explain it that way. And also because children, as you know, even you've talked to so many experts, we and children, right? All of us, we are always making decisions about ourselves, others, and the world. And from the second we're born, right? So children are always asking, am I good? Am I bad? Am I capable? Am I not capable? Am I loved or not? So they're asking about themselves. And then they're also asking questions about us, right? About the adults. So is mom helpful or not? Is she on my side or not? Does she love me or not? Can I trust her or not? And then they're also asking questions and assessing their, their environment. And I, when I say environment, if you're a parent of a young child, it really is your home. Mm -hmm. Right, and, and that's the environment that you really have control over because even though there are so many other environments they may be on, um, they, they may engage with, the, the home is what you can control. So they are also assessing the home. Is this home a place where I feel good? Do, can I be myself? Do I have to behave in a way that, you know, to, to make them, make other people happy? Can I just be me? Uh, is this place made for me? Do I feel like I can 
I have access to things that I can function in here, right? So they're doing those assessments. Of course, subconscious and unconsciously, they are doing that. And based upon what they decide, what they figure it out by assessing these three things, they decide if they will thrive or survive. Hmm. So I find that this interesting because we are always sending messages to our children. Every interaction, everything that we do or say or don't do or don't say actually sends a message. And I always tell parents, there is no way not to communicate. So if, <laughs> and, and usually the yeah. message that young children get from the first few years, I would say right in the first three years, often can be very negative, even without us intending to send those negative messages. But for example, if the two-year-old puts their shoes on by themselves, and then we say, oh, honey, that's on the wrong foot, what message will they get? I can't do it. I can't do it. I didn't do it right. It wasn't good enough. I didn't meet her expectations. Here, fell short again. Like they get that message. Or what if the shoe is on the wrong foot? (laughs) (laughs) You're worried that your kid is going to. You are right. It is on the wrong foot. Yes, and so that is the difference in the Montessori environment or in this approach. That's a more positive approach to the discipline. You would say something like, "Wow, you did it yourself." And then you may, and you notice that they didn't do it right, right? So you can say, you know, I'm going to show you how I do mine. And I look at my shoes and I see that, you know, they have this shape and it looks like the shape of my foot. And so you give them a feedback without having to say, or you say, you know, let me show you again uh, how you can do it. Or you can let it go for a few minutes and then say, oh, let me help you change this. So you, yeah. you know, you don't have to say, oh, it's on the wrong foot, but you can, you can go around in a way that is less of a, it's, it's less of a negative. It's well, more positive. It's that's not interesting because that could take some training for, for ourselves because, oh, you know, we are just it. so, you know, naturally human beings are wired to notice the mm-hmm. negative more. So we, exactly. it's just, it's in us, right? That we yes. notice the negative more. And so we that, have this- that takes a lot of practice and restraint to practice this sort of another way, another approach of saying, you know, and it's interesting, actually, that was one of the most important things I learned in my life, I learned from art critiques. <laughs> and then art critiques, they teach you just to, to first PQP, praise, question, polish. And like just what you're saying, like, you did it yourself. Like, oh, look, you yeah. put your shoes on. Okay. And then Hmm. <laughs> I yeah. wonder if they're on the right feet, you know, and maybe, yeah. you know, if that's appropriate, but, but the, that idea of kind of approaching with a positive first, mm-hmm. that can take some, some practice for us. And, and it, we may not yeah. always succeed. All, the, all this work is ultimately to, for, for the children, but it's really all about us. It's all about the parents and the adults. And, and yes, what the, the, the easiest way for parents to remember this, if they just think of connect before correct. Yeah, that's a great so one. So if they can just think, okay, I'm going to connect before I correct. So it, can t- it takes only a couple of seconds to say, wow, you did it on your own. And let me show you how you could do this. Or I wonder if it's on the, wrong, on the right foot. Would you check? Can you make sure? So you say that, but you connect it first and then you correct. But often if we do approach with an, in a negative way, we sometimes create 
a battle that will take longer for us to actually solve where then our children are now upset yeah. now that yeah. they get, we're taking their foot your shoe their shoes off and trying to put it again and you know and then, and then we make them feel badly but there are so many other messages we send all the time so for example if we're baking cookies with them and we go around fixing the cookies to make them look prettier what are, mm-hmm. what messages are they getting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. again it wasn't good enough so yeah. it is again, like you said, a lot of restraint on us. It's a lot of letting go of what we expect, of needing to be perfect, of the cooks having to look, you know, right. So it is a lot of that. Uh, but we do this often with, you know, if children want to clear the table and we say no, 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 because we want to save the dishes <laughs> from breaking, <laughs> but then we crush their confidence, right? Their independence, and and then there's other messages that we send to them too about themselves if they are having a fight with a sibling and we say oh that's not nice that was so mean or you're a bad boy you're a bad girl they are getting those messages about themselves and then if we are saying those things they're getting messages about us or maybe mom is not on my side maybe she prefers my brother um she doesn't think that what what i do is good or things like that or maybe the environment is sending messages that they are not capable because every time they need water, they have to ask us for water. They can't even reach and get their own glass of water. Oh my gosh, that was happening to me last week. I was with my family and with my niece and she's five, you know, she's a big capable kid and she can do a lot of things, but we were just at my parents' house and there's no way for her to get the glasses that are way up high. So a lot of what you're talking about, thinking about the shoes, thinking about all these different things and these messages we're sending, the environment can help you, just like you said, like avoid a lot of these struggles. So if we have, and this kind of goes back to sort of these choices, like I'm, I'm trying to think about, you know, so thinking about this idea of, you know, if, minimizing the choices, making the shoes, only the shoes that are easy to put on. And which then in some ways, these are challenging in some ways, because because I'm imagining you, Lorena, like, like many of us must have gotten floods of clothes, right? Like, like either from your family, like presents, or maybe you got like, like I did the enormous, like three garbage bags of hand-me-downs from the people in the neighborhood who are trying to be helpful. And it is really helpful, but then you have um, drawers packed with clothes. So part of, part of this is being really intentional and very, very intentional about what, what you're wanting for your child and not just kind of taking everything, but actually being very serious about, um, getting a decluttering, getting rid of this, being kind of maybe even ruthless about getting rid of stuff that you you're not wanting in this environment. Yes. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from toddler purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk 
let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. I think that that's a huge part. It's really the intentionality that you mentioned. And again, I like to go back to the word of, you know, purpose, like really doing this in a purposeful way. Often we're mindlessly, we're doing, going through the motions or we just don't know better. And I mean, I made so many of these mistakes of having too much. And then you sort of learn as you go, but you can avoid so much of this trial and error and going through the struggles if you just really take a look and just really ask yourself, like, am I setting them up for success? Am I setting myself up, myself up for success? Because we often lose our cool. We parent in a way that can be negative or we disconnect from them. And it really, it's, we create it. <laughs> we create those situations. We put ourselves in those positions where then we fail and we fall off the wagon because we have too much or we were not careful about the purchases we made or of what we let come in or how we set things up. So I always tell parents, just ask yourself if you're setting yourself up for, up for success, if you're self setting your children up. And that sort of filters a lot when you're making decisions. So if you need to get out of the house in the morning, then what are the steps that you need to do to set yourself up for success in your children? So that's when, you know, preparing this environment and I talk about creating this optimum environment, but it's not just the physical environment. It's really taking a look at the social, emotional, physical, intellectual, and spiritual pieces of the environment. So you want to look at the whole thing. And some of these things we talked about are easier to do because they are the physical things. It's easier to just put some, you know, declutter some things and move things around. And that's the sort of the easy part of the work. And then there is also, like you mentioned, like working on yourself to really be able to restrain from saying certain things or jumping in to rescue them right away, to mm -hmm. jumping into refereeing fights all the time. Uh, all of that, that's another part of the environment. It's the yeah. psychological climate that we create. So we, yeah. we want to sort of keep all those things in mind. And I like that um, since we were talking about Montessori, Maria Montessori also talked about this uh, learning triangle. And I like to think of it as three pillars. So she talked about those three um, areas. So there's the child, there's the adult, and there's the environment. And you need those three things so learning can happen, essentially, you know, so the children can thrive and we can um, thrive. But I like to think of pillars. So you have your pillar, so the adult pillar, 
And then there's the child pillar. And then there's, there's the environment, the home pillar. And you want to have those three pillars really, really firm and balanced. If one of them is a little wobbly, if one of them is breaking down, you will have parenting breakdown. Mm-hmm. And for as an example, we've all experienced this where we take good care of, let's say, the child pillar and we are attentive, we're patient, we are meeting their needs, we're doing a great job. And then we are also taking good care of the environment. We're keeping up with things with the laundry, maybe we cooked a meal from scratch and we're feeling good about the environment. But at the end of the day, we are resenting that we're the only ones doing everything. Nobody's helping. Now we're yelling at them because we didn't take care of us, right? Mm-hmm. The adult pillar, we let go of that. And now we're experiencing parenting breakdown. Or we take good care of ourselves and we go take our yoga class. We meet a friend for lunch or we work on our passion and work projects. And then we also take good care of the children, but then we let go of the environment. So now it's 5.30, we're shopping for food at Trader Joe's and the kids are having a meltdown, everybody's tired and hungry, and we're having a parenting breakdown because we let go of that environment pillar. Or we take care of the environment, we take care of ourselves, but to do all that, we sort of had to neglect the kids a little bit. So we put them in front of the TV, we say, just one more minute, one more minute, mom is just finishing this one thing, not now. And then all of a sudden, they start to pick a fight or they are whiny, they are attention seeking because we sort of let go of the child pillar. And now we're experiencing parenting breakdowns and we're having to deal with that. So, of course, it's easier said than done. But we need to keep those three things balanced. But it's, it's nice and there is a whole strategy for addressing those and just keeping that in your forefront yeah, of your mind. Yeah. Sounds like that's a good framework, right? Like not to say, like, I guarantee that's going to happen. Like you're going to be a tree and the child's breaking down. Like, well, (laughs) all of the, one of these things is, you know, that's what balance is, is wobbling. But like, can we then step back for a minute and say, oh God, my kids have been incredibly whiny and clingy lately. Let me just take a step back and say, Mm -hmm. what, what needs some attention? You know, do I, do I need to give some more attention to my child, to my communication, to my environment? You know, is it me? Am I like freaking out and overstressed? You know, do I need to give myself some more attention? Yeah. So just kind of looking at that, you know, not taking these as judgments of, oh, I'm a bad parent because I'm letting go of the, you know, my child's watching TV or I'm, you know, my environment is messy in this, in this day, but saying, okay, like this is a way of, of, you know, this is a place where I can maybe make things a little, a little better, you know, with. I always like to say that it's, it's really not about the, the perfection, of course, right? It's about the improvement but also that there is no way that we can keep all this balance all the time. But it's not even about that. That shouldn't ever be the goal. The goal is to really, all that I always tell parents, that I, I teach them how to create the connections and the harmony. So creating connection, parent-child connection and harmony. But not just creating, right? But then sustaining it. Because often we we all know how to do things and be patient and calm and meet their needs. And we can, we can do all those things. It's just really hard for us to sustain that. 
Um, and I, I work with parents who be deeply believe in peaceful parenting and all of those progressive approaches to parenting or education, but they struggle to make it work or to make it last. Yeah. So I find that it's important to create those, the connection and the harmony, but then learn to sustain and then learn to repair when it breaks down because a 100% guarantee it will. Um, so that is the, 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 the goal is to look at these and assess from a perspective of just gathering information. So, my child's behavior is just communicating. It's just telling me something. All the behavior is, is communication, right? My behavior is communication. If I am yelling, wait, I need to take a second to see what is it that I need? Because we can't just meet the needs of the child, create the environment that works for the child. And a lot of us sort of tend to do that because we're, we're such dedicated, committed moms and we want to get this right and we take this job so seriously that we, we want to make sure we do it all right. Um, but it really has to work for us as well. So the environment needs to work for you. If you have hundreds of toys and you're stepping over toys, it's not working for you. <laughs> if cleanup takes more than five minutes, it's not working for you. <laughs> if you have mountains of laundry and you can never be on top of it, then it's not working for you. So it's really thinking, you know, if you're doing everything and your children are not helping with, you know, getting a meal, get the table set and preparing the meal and helping out with cleaning up and all of that, then it's not working for you. <laughs> so I always say like, you want to look at the needs of the child and it's nice to accommodate their needs, to make this environment accessible to them and take under consideration their perspective. But if we don't take under consideration what we need, it won't work anyway. <laughs> so it's really um, looking at the whole picture um, I yeah. would say to keep the focus on those three areas sort of like all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the environment can, can affect all of, all of those. Like, like you suggest, you know, it's interesting thinking about those three pillars, you know, the, you suggest like a, a timeout space for like a chill out space for your child. And, but you also like, we can also think about that for yourself, you know, oh, like, yeah. uh, you know, if you don't maybe have a meditation space, but uh, just a quiet corner for both you and your child for breathing might be yes. a good idea. Well, I think that um, the listener is going to get uh, hopefully a lot of different ideas from from this and I really yeah. appreciate you you coming on and and sharing this and you can find more ideas in in Lorena's book so the purposeful child and so I want to thank you Lorena for yes. for coming on the mindful mama podcast for you know contributing to this work of helping transform generations and and I know you have so much more to offer where can people find out more about the work you do they can look it up in my website, lorenasideout.com. And I have a five-day free mini training that they can also sign up. And I'll give you the, the link if you want to um, put that together. Yeah, we'll put, we'll put that all in the, in the show notes um, yeah. at mindfulmamapodcast.com. So, yes. so I, always, I, I like to end. I, I have this one quote, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's a Heim Gnat quote, and I put it in my book, and it's one of the things that I really love to just have it as a sort of like the North Star for me. It's, mm. And I think it goes a little bit with what you were saying of, you know, a lot of this is for our children, but it really, we need to work on ourselves, a lot of the, the work. Mm -hmm. 
And it says, I, I have come to the frightening conclusion that I am the decisive element. It's my personal approach that creates the climate. It's my daily mood that makes the weather. I possess tremendous power to make life miserable or joyous. I can be a tool of torture of an instrument of inspiration. I can humiliate or humor, hurt or heal. In all situations, it's my response that decides whether a crisis is escalated or de-escalated and a person is humanized or dehumanized. If we treat people as they are, we make them worse. If we treat people as they ought to be, we help them become what they're capable of becoming. And I find that that's, that's the, beautiful. I have goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, love that. that. That's really the idea is just really creating the best conditions. Like uh, I always talk about the, like mm -hmm. approaching the parenting from the perspective of the gardener or the carpenter <laughs> that, mm. you know, we're not making our children or carving them. Mm. And some people approach it that way. Like we're going to carve them. We have this vision, clear vision of what we want them to become. And we're trying to make that happen. Or we can just approach this from a gardener perspective. We're just creating the conditions. We're taking the weeds out. We're trying to, you know, help them the protect soil. from the, the yeah. frost or the snow. We are giving them everything that they need to flourish. But we also know that so much is out of our control, that there's the weather, there are so many other elements yeah, yeah. and forces that will impact our parenting and will impact this end result or what our children are going to become. Um, so really, the, the, the book and everything that I do is just helping parents just create the conditions, the ideal, the optimum. That's why it's called the optimum home environment. Uh, but it's really the physical, the emotional, the psychological environment and those optimum conditions. So you can flourish and the children can flourish. Yeah, yeah. I love that metaphor too, because a good flower thrives, needs some compost too. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. It needs some, some crap. It needs some exactly. old rotten old bananas. <laughs> so true. Yes. Yeah. So oh, we well, can be easy on ourselves and yeah. really just trying to create the, the good conditions. Well, so thank great. you so much, Lorena. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, and so I, I really appreciate you coming on. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I love what Lorena has to say. She has so much wisdom. And it's true, we can create so much independence with our optimal home environment. And it makes such a big difference. I've definitely seen that in my own life. Before I let you go, I want to encourage you once more to buy the book, buy it right away because Raising Good Humans, we have a special book launch bonuses that are going to be disappearing soon. So buy, the, buy Raising Good Humans now at RaisingGoodHumansBook.com. Then when you do, remember we're having a contest for Amazon reviews. So win a spot in my spring retreat, a lot, a spot, win a spot in my spring retreat, um, it's, which is a $300 value for leaving a wonderful Amazon review. And even if you're in Australia, I invite you to please leave an Amazon review because it makes such a huge difference to helping the book gain legs. So if you have been enjoying the podcast, please do this for me. It's such it's a really simple way to support the podcast. 
And then finally, just want to remind you that my coaching programs are open for the year. I have just a few spots available for one-on-one and for Mindful Mama Transformation Coaching Group. So you can learn more about that at mindfulmamamentor.com or reach out to me at hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com to apply. And this is the highest level of working with me. We get to really know one another very, very well and um, make huge transformations. This is for you if you are serious about becoming that calm, peaceful mama that you want to be. Sometimes in my one-on-one coaching, we are helping you take steps to go beyond mama, to do that venture that you've been so excited about, and you need the support to take those next powerful moves. And the group coaching is really one of my favorite things to do. This is what my former client, Carrie, said. She said, quote, the group really helped me with communication. I've tried other things in the past that haven't, but mindfulness really works for me. I think everyone should do something like this. It's not just for parenting. It's for life's challenges. So if you're interested, check it out at mindfulmamamentor.com and Email me at hunter at mindful mama mentor to apply. And I look forward to getting to know you better. So exciting. So I'm wishing you a beautiful, beautiful week. Guess what? Next week is a really, really special episode. I'm just going to tease it because it's so cool. So things are a little flipped upside down. So make sure you listen to episode 197. And I will see you then. And I'm wishing you a beautiful, peaceful week, my friend. Thank you so, so much. I'm so, so honored to be here in your ears and wishing, wishing you all the best. Namaste. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence Whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.